Hello Disruptors, welcome to episode 7 of Faith Disrupted. Um, this is actually part B, part 2. Yes. Part Dois. Um, <laughs> like you look fancy. Look at, look at Jen, look kind of look all fancy. <laughs> <laughs> of our um, Christian Feminism podcast. So hopefully you listened to the first one last time um, this is an extra special one and we have a bit of an interview but first we're just going to quickly have a little bit of a chat well i have not got too much to chat about because of the crazy mary poppins week but i <laughs> continue to recommend singing let's go fly a kite and other such fun things around your home um, but i have been uh, trying to madly catch up the last day or two on The House, uh, which is a new series hosted by Annabelle Crabb uh, on the ABC. And it basically looks at Parliament House and all the amazing different people that work there and how it works. And I am finding it really good because I'm ashamed to admit that I, despite um, my high school education still struggle to <laughs> understand the House of Representatives and the Senate oh, and who does I'm what. I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah. I get so confused. Um, but And it's just, yeah, it's really fascinating to see uh, how it all runs and what happens uh, in it. And some of it is very arcane. And, you know, I think if people, and myself included, want to have a go at some arcane religious practices that make no sense, have a look at parliament and the oh, weird things that they still do crazy yes. oh. just explains so much yeah well citizenship but yes <laughs> like the dress ups and the walking with the stick and the this and the that mm. and the holding the paper over the head to talk in lieu of a top hat anyway but it's fascinating and i really enjoyed it but however i was just thinking based on our last podcast um about uh we talked about women and the vote and obviously that kind of linked in my mind with Parliament, and I just it just struck me that uh, Aboriginal people didn't get the vote until 1962, and mm -hmm. so therefore Aboriginal women would not have had the vote until then, at least. Um, and so I think it just bears to keep in mind amongst our white middle class mm. background um, that obviously there are Australian women who have had it even much tougher and probably still do today. That's mm. a really good point. And I think that ties in really well with perhaps something we'll be speaking about soon as well um, yeah. with remote Aboriginal yeah. communities still not being perhaps yeah. included in things like the census and the upcoming postal vote. Mm. Wow, true. Um, I I just had two things to share tonight. Um, one of them we, we talked last time about what organizations or things people can get involved in around oh, yeah. the whole feminism space um and yeah i sort of had completely forgotten at the time but collectiveshout.org so collective shout is an organization that started with um melinda tankard reist who's um yeah an amazing go-getter woman who is <laughs> basically they say that this grassroots campaign movement against the objectification of women and the sexualization of girls mm. so basically they're trying to gather people together um you and i and anybody who is really concerned about how the culture is becoming what they call pornified oh, <laughs> um yeah and and just advertising that's you know super sexualized and uh so it's like they run campaigns when they see um 
organisations advertising things that is uh, treating women badly and so they do petitions and get that taken off air or taken you know off billboards and they also do a huge amount of work going into schools and actually educating young girls and young boys about what's really going on and how to actually treat women with respect um, and treat yourself with respect so it's pretty amazing and if you ever get the chance to hear Melinda speak at an event she's often around um, really well worth it it's quite mind-blowing the statistics that get thrown out you know I think I think most, I think all boys will have seen porn by the age of 11 mm-hmm. and it will be violent. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, yeah, quite concerning. So that's, um, that's really right. worth so just. My son turns 11 tomorrow, by the way. Sorry. Oh, happy birthday, Dees. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think every, yeah, everyone should just be on that list, I think, just to be across mm. what's going on and hopefully engage. And then the other thing is, you know, how I talked about Charlie being, um, uh, you know, I can't be a, a police <laughs> chief because mm. I'm a girl. Well, I bought the book. Um, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls and it is awesome. I really – they've actually got a second one coming out in November. It is the most crowdfunded um, book ever. (laughs) So people actually just threw in money because they really wanted to see um, these stories of real women. There's 60 – no, 100, sorry, 100 tales in this first one of real women from like Serena Williams – through to Elizabeth the first, through to the woman who wrote um, Pippi Longstocking, and <laughs> a whole range like scientists and writers and artists and um, business people, uh, and so each page has a beautiful illustration that's been done by a woman um, of the person, and then a really you know almost like written in a fairy tale style. So once upon a time there was a girl who yeah, didn't. And yeah, Charlie, my nieces. yeah, do it. Charlie is eating yeah. it up now. Judah, who is three, did ask the question like, "What? What about the boys?" Oh, so, <laughs> hopefully there'll be some rebel boy books coming out soon. But I think this is important, and it really has opened yeah. up, yeah, her eyes already. I think to like, so many questions, and she's six. I, I would say there's a lot of words in there that she's still trying to get her head around. So she's probably on the younger end, mm. um, but. I'm just going to keep <laughs> um, I'm a little bit annoyed her. that it says it's stories for girls, though, because it means that my yeah. boys probably won't want to read uh, it because it true. says it's stories for girls. It's, that's really Whereas true, I really love them yeah. to read those stories. Mm. Yep. Yep, I agree. It would be good for them mm. to do. I'm learning so much, I've got to say. I'm <laughs> impressed. I keep looking forward to the next story. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, they've uncovered really interesting people that I'd never heard of um, who, yeah, have really shaped the world it's pretty amazing yeah. yeah great but charlie does keep asking what does rebel mean i'm like oh. <laughs> good people doing good things <laughs> depends on the context <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah now that's a good one uh, yeah i've not got much i've not got much to recommend tonight um although i have been listening to the um the minimalist podcast um oh yes Yes. Yeah, so they're they're really great. The two two guys, which I think is quite unusual. I feel like the minimalist kind of thing is really pushed by women, but mm. it, it's two guys that um, have this really great chemistry and talk about you know just scaling down your life and how to let go of things. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'm just finding it's it's a really great kind of podcast for 
I don't know, the feel, I just feel like I'm really cluttered, not just mm. like my house isn't too bad, but I just feel like my life is really cluttered at the moment. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I need to let go of some things, so I'm finding it really nice and freeing mm. to be listen, listening mm. to them and having some tips. Do you have a favourite tip as of yet? Oh. No. Mm. Keep us um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, I will. It's, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of stuff. They do a lot of stuff, a lot of good things. Mm. It's a bit like those things, you know, where they say, like, if you don't use it all the time or really love it, get rid of it. Yeah. Mm. And they talk a lot about um, things that you keep from, you know, just like letters and mm. things that you keep from your teenage years or, you know, all your high school yearbooks. And they basically just say, what, you know, why are you keeping these oh, things? And, good point. I know. I love your letters. Oh, Absolutely. But, yeah, I yeah. haven't looked at them in yeah. 20 years. <laughs> well, that's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 Harsh it's but hard true. Yeah. Yep. yep. good. All right. So I guess we'll get get into the podcast. Mm-hmm. So this is all pre-recorded, and um, which means we can all go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to I'll hear enjoy. your mum, Michelle. It's going to be great. Yeah. She was really fascinating I hope everyone really enjoys it just um, a good little taste of um, yeah what has gone before us and what could come ahead so enjoy let's do it hey there disruptors this is Michelle and I am here with the illustrious Dr. Cheryl McCullum who also happens to be my mum hello <laughs> so, Cheryl, um, I should know all of your background, but maybe can you give us all a bit of a sense of who you are and um, what kind of study and work experience you have that leads us to want to have a conversation with you tonight? Okay, all right. So, I'm a South Australian by birth, um, spent some time as a minister's wife. Uh, studied in, in uh, studied in uni of Adelaide for a start and became a teacher then got married went across to the United States studied biblical studies in my masters and then came back here to Australia with my husband and children in tow and we started working at what was Table Victoria and so I worked there for a number of years in the area of biblical studies and working as a senior lecturer and then became principal in 2002 to 2006 and then left for a while and did some work with some NGOs like TIER and Urban Neighbours of Hope and then became the National Director for Evangelical Alliance and then ended up back at the college and then in 2013 I became principal again and have been since then. And in the midst of all of that, in 2007, I graduated with my PhD. And my research was in the area of uh, explaining why women were being ordained in a particular organisation. But I did a lot of work around history of women in ministry and some of the theological areas. So you really have nothing of value to add to Absolutely the conversation? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Just hearing that, <laughs> I feel tired just thinking about it. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, so um, 
did you get a chance to listen to our latest podcast? I certainly did. Which and is around Christi- Christian women. Can you actually be a feminist? Yes, I was, and I really enjoyed listening to it. You did a great job and covered lots of areas that I thought were really important and were very important in the 1990s when uh, coming back from the United States after studying, uh, there was a big a kind of gap I noticed where uh, no one was really talking about it. There was not much training and biblical thinking around women in ministry, even though um, you've got some of the best biblical scholars were here in Australia thinking about it, some of the forerunners. And so worked in a, with a group of women in Women in Ministry Network, mm-hmm. trying to bring Is that women... a thing that still exists? No, it didn't. We disbanded because we thought the Hillsong conferences and all of those were going to cover the areas that we had done. And we also thought that was kind of no more need for it. <laughs> and everyone agreed with us. And, and lo and behold, I'm now involved with Christians for Biblical Equality, which is still banging the drum for a biblical basis for women in leadership. So we felt like we had really achieved it. And then 20 years later, it all came back again. So do you feel like it maybe was on the whole achieved at that point and it's not regressed but changed again or was it always there under Um, the surface? Yeah, I think it was always there. I think with the introduction of some of the conferences that came along which were really about giving women self-esteem, helping to realise they were made in the image of God and that was all fantastic but they never seemed to take to the point apart from you can do anything you want to do didn't really address some of the major issues which are around when a woman decides she wants to do something or God's called her to it, what happens when the church says no or she's faced with issues of the Bible and people quoting scripture at her, how does she respond? And so I think probably we thought that was already dealt with and yet it's a continual issue Wow, so that's a really great way to perhaps approach it. What would you say? So I come to you and I'm like, I feel like I want to start preaching at church and Mm. I feel like I've got this calling from God but I don't know quite what to do with it and I spoke to my pastor and I've been told that that's not really something that they believe in to have women Mm. in leadership in the church. What what would you say to someone like that? Change churches. Oh, (laughs) Now, honestly, I think it becomes, it has moved from a dialogue to now pretty much a line in the sand. In some denominations, and there's not many left that don't ordain women and allow women into leadership, and particularly preaching is has become much more common okay. for women to preach. And so if you're called to preach, the issues in some churches rely around leadership, whether you a woman can lead a church, um, whether she can have authority in that way over a man. But what's happened is uh, the denominations that haven't ordained women or the groups that haven't have tended to use that as kind of a cultural line in the sand, that in doing that they are giving way to a culture and the next thing will be happening they'll having to ordain homosexuals and goodness knows what else. And so it, it's kind of got stuck there. And so the both sides are talking and writing and there's just, you know, gallons of ink being spilt on the whole area. But I think a lot of it comes down to cultural issues and power issues that haven't really got 
everything to do with the biblical basis. Okay. So can we maybe just delve into sure. the biblical side of it? Mm. Because I must say I feel out of my depth and in some ways I prefer to bury my head and pretend <laughs> like it, I don't even want to address it. But can you just give us the kind of top line? What's What are the, the passages that people get stuck yes. on and what are the people who are not okay with women in leadership saying? And then what would your response yeah. be if, as someone who's all for Christian all biblical right. equality? So it basically breaks, breaks down to two areas. Um, are women equal? And by that egalitarian, that means they have access to all the same opportunities as men. In other words, they can preach, teach, lead in every single area they're equal. And then the opposite is, or the other side, is the complementarian view, which says that women um, are equal before God in essence and image, but they have a different role in life. And that role is going to be with them because they're a woman and it's going to be with them for life. So historically... The egalitarians or the ones seeking for women to preach have been uh, have quoted Acts chapter 2, where my spirit will be poured out on all flesh, your sons and daughters, uh, women and men, so this inclusive thing, and Galatians, where it talks about 2.28, where you know there's neither uh, Greek, Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor master or slave nor free. So... Um, they have tended to uh, emphasise those. Also, the egalitarians tend to emphasise the way in which Paul used women and women were used in the early church. And it seems quite clear that women did have leadership roles uh, in a culture that didn't allow that for women very much. But also there are the stories in the Old Testament where women step outside the cultural norms and God doesn't condemn them. For example, Deborah... Um, there are other women which who kind of challenge the status quo and God doesn't condemn them. In fact, they're blessed because of it. So that would be the egalitarian stance. Now, the complementarian stance would, and also um, an egalitarian stance would say that it's only in the fall, uh, after sin has entered the world, that we start to see women subjected to men and having to uh, you know, men taking an upper hand in society. That creation, the, new, the early creation, the first creation, has male and female and there's no hierarchy. Now, a complementarian position would hold that the hierarchy of male over female is found in the creation story around the fact that, you know, Adam was created first, then, then Eve, and, uh, and then the woman is called the helper, and, and some of those issues. They also tend to concentrate on Pauline passages, particularly the problem passages of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, mm -hmm. where it talks about, I don't allow a woman to authentain over a man. In other words, have authority or preach. And so this is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Pauline. Pauline writings. And also there's a mention in 1 Corinthians and in 1 Corinthians 11 particularly where he talks about head coverings. Yes. Yes. And so that those are concentrated on. The big issue, it's very complex and it, it's around whether these passages transcend time and space and are for all generations and for all places. 
or are they linked to the context and the mm. culture? And so these are the issues that come up again and again and again. Is Paul making a statement for all churches at all times? And is this to be kept in that women shouldn't be silent in the church mm. and ask their husbands at home and had head coverings and all of that? Or was this a contextual issue? The Handmaid's Tale suggests yes. that it is for all time. Yes. Now, The Handmaid's Tale, when it used certain scripture, I just wanted to scream and <laughs> yeah. throw something at the screen. <laughs> but it was a classic example as you, as The Handmaid's Tale unfolded you recognize that scripture here was being distorted and used mm. for power mm. and used to uh, support a cultural way of doing things and so it comes back to the essence of the gospel you know Jesus um, interaction with women was certainly not one of a man dominating a woman or subjecting a woman um, you know it, the seed of the gospel, what have we seen come from that? We've seen the end of slavery in the time of Wilberforce, not notwithstanding modern slavery, but we've seen the ethical growth and change of society. We've seen that where Christians went in society, they sought to uh, bring women out of the kind of sometimes her, really horrendous situations they were in mm. under certain cultural practices. Um, education of women was something that um, the first feminists... Mm. We need to recognise that many of the first feminists were Quaker women and the Quakers managed to hold an egalitarian stance for 400 years simply because instead of using tradition to teach each new convert, they would make each new convert go back to biblical basis and search for themselves. Mm. And so it, it's fascinating to see the Quakers and their involvement in so many different areas. The uh, move for education for women, um, equal rights for women, votes for women, but also the ending of the prison trial, you know, all kinds of different things mm. that the Quakers were involved in. And I think they kind of epitomised this liberating aspect of the gospel. Wow. There's a lot there. <laughs> there is a lot. <laughs> I just want to call out Tam's direct quote here. Yeah. If Paul was Pauline, it would have made things a lot easier for us. It certainly would. I think there's would. a lot of truth in there that. There is a lot of truth. <laughs> However, if Paul was Pauline in those days, he probably would never have been read. In the Bible, yes. In the Bible, would he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have made she, it. And yeah. he certainly his letters would not have been given the kind of um, importance that they were given, but certainly there's a lot of stuff around. And and look, I'd really encourage people that one of the key factors for a woman in leadership, along with three others that I could give you, but the the main one is having a biblical basis for what you're doing because you're going to be challenged in leadership. You're going to be challenged even if you preach and your church is quite happy with that. There'll be someone who'll challenge you in what you're doing and you have to be able to work through that biblical basis by your, on your by yourself and feel really convicted in your own heart that this is right and there's lots of great things that you can read that will help you in that but what would it, you recommend oh there's a number of books around um i'd recommend that there's uh some of the works there's a wonderful volume called um Discovering Biblical Equality, which is a compendium of a whole heap of different articles. 
and Gordon Fee is one of the editors. I've forgotten. I think it was Grutus is the other editor, and that takes an historical perspective, a biblical perspective, and also some of the outworkings, because we need to be aware that if you take a certain stand about the role of men and women and whether they are equal before God, but also equal in their opportunities, then there are going to be implications for the church, for family life, and for just society in general. And and it's really important that we don't just restrict it to this idea of can I preach in church, but it has a huge impact in all areas of life. Mm. Any other um recommended resources oh there's uh, a number of all the way from quite low level all the way through uh, if you're interested in what women have done in history daughters of the church is a wonderful book by uh, um, Leifelt and uh, Tucker um, there's just go to your local bookstore and look some up I can give you some references Great. and you we'll, can put it up on the we'll website add it to the website that's and Facebook right. for you okay um so just, I know we've talked around it, but just what your thought around the idea of women as helpers, which does pop up oh, in okay. Genesis, how would you respond to that? Okay, so the, the Hebrew word for helper there, and I, I think it's ezer or one of those, it's a Hebrew word, um, it occurs about 23 times in Scripture and almost every single instance except that one and a couple of others, it's God that's been spoken of, God the helper of Israel. Now, to in any way, say that God is lesser than Israel would be total blasphemy. And so we need to be very careful how we use that word. It has the sense of helpmate or helpmeet, one who comes alongside, Mm. which doesn't have the idea of one who sits below, but one who comes alongside. And, And this is what got, this is the whole beauty of the creation story is here's, the man, Ish, and he, he can't find, even amongst the animals, anyone that remotely he relates to. So God creates a woman, Isha, and he brings those two together and Adam goes, or the man goes, which is just the Hebrew word Adam, goes, wow, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, essence of my essence. In other words, we are the same. Mm. And together we kind of... Are together we make this whole and so the helper thing is someone who comes alongside not in the subjective or subjugated role but someone who walks alongside mm. and so I think and and just simply the fact that God is given that same uh, kind of name in scripture and we would never denigrate and say God is below anyone mm. then I think it's wrong to use it that word in that way that's really helpful just on a total side note to that, yes. what about you as a single woman coming in? I know um, in the past you've <laughs> gone to speak at a church and then say, oh, you know, where's yeah, your husband? Where's your husband? Or <laughs> what, where's your covering? You know, like, or whatever the phrasing is. Yes. Yeah, how, how do you respond uh, that's, to that kind of pushback? Okay, so that's a um, kind of came in in the 50s. My research showed it came in in the 50s. It was this misunderstanding around head covering, as in Corinthians, that somehow a man had to cover a woman and and by covering her, she would then be able to speak with his authority. So she could make decisions, but it was under his covering and so therefore it was okay. And so he was responsible to God for her rather than her 
which is a total misrepresentation of that scripture and a misrepresentation of of the male-female relationship before God. Um, But it kind of caught on, particularly in Pentecostal circles, Mm. this idea that a man covered a woman, and so if you were single, then you had to find some man to cover you and to have authority over you. Mm. Um, And, yeah, which makes for interesting things for single women in those churches. Mm. Um, And it also makes it much easier for women who are married to pastors to get access to the pulpit in those churches. Yeah. Are there... Um, and maybe this flows into this question around the rise of Acts 29 churches. Oh, yes. Um, are there many of these churches around and, and is there a movement of more of them, I guess? Yeah, I think I think um, sociologically in times of uncertainty in the world, um, uh, when you don't have control of anything that's going on, the only way you can control life is in your family And so that's always a rise in that kind of fundamentalist thing where the the family is very structured and everyone knows their place and how it should work and it's not messy because everyone sits under someone else. Mm. And so I think there has been a rise worldwide in that and I think there is a certain attractiveness to know clearly and have someone tell you what your role is that you should be the one putting the bins out or not, that you should be the one looking after the children or not, that you should be X, Y and Z. But that's not the way of the gospel from my perspective. The gospel comes to free us and to allow us to live a full life where we express all the gifts and abilities that God's given us. We do the good works that he created us for us to do. And that is often different. And so I think the church in some ways... Some of those churches kind of uh, give the impression that there's a biblical model for how things should work, but we don't have that. We have in the Bible there's just so many different expressions of family and how it works. And if you imagine the time of David with 300 wives and concubines and kids running everywhere, it would be pretty hard to argue the nuclear family where David was, you know, (laughs) controlling everything that was happening. So I just think... um, it, it always comes back to the fundamental of, you know, what does God call us to and and what does the gospel really mean? Mm. I feel like we need to start a campaign. Hashtag say no to bin night. <laughs> well, it used to always be that, you know, men had to handle the finances. Yeah. In my, in my mother's generation, very rarely did women handle the finances because they were considered to be a bit fluffy-headed and wouldn't understand yeah. it. And yet my mother handled the finances because my father didn't really understand it. And in my marriage, I handled the finances. So, uh, you know, and and role, and your jobs change according mm. to your circumstances. If you're studying and your husband isn't, then there'll be things that he does that you can't do and vice versa. And, it, and marriages and situations change all through life. Mm. And, um, and we need to be willing to just let God help us in that. Mm. Uh, I've had a, a question from one of the disruptors on Facebook and um, the question was, and I know that you've had this over the years, how do you approach men in leadership who disagree with you or have that really strong conservative view that they hold to as being biblical? What's yeah? What's your response? What's your posture? You don't need to go through the theological argument because mm. you've already discussed that. 
how do you respond? You've had them in your classes, I know it. Yeah, um, I, th- I think it's a bit of pick your battles. Um, research shows that if you're a woman in leadership, if, for example, you become leader of a church, within 12 months people don't notice your gender. Huh. So, you know, they just go by how good a job you're doing. Um, and so sometimes if it's a long-term thing, you just let time go by and and eventually they might subside. If it's a once-up um, encounter, I tend to not engage in arguments because if you're talking with someone who wants to argue biblically, you need hours to sit down and work through this and think about the hermeneutics. And, and usually people have come already set in their minds. Mm. It takes a lot to move people. So I think a lot of grace without giving uh, the impression that you have changed your stance. I think there's just that kind of Mm. picking your battle, trying to find a way in which you uh, form some kind of mutual agreement around this is probably not something we want to go there. But if you're a lay person or someone who wants to be in leadership and that's your leader, you're saying pretty much move on. Like don't Well personally I don't think I haven't I haven't seen a lot of changes. I've seen a lot of changes in evangelicals uh, in scholarship. Okay. So people have addressed this again and again now and and been forced to because of second wave feminism. So we saw a lot in the 90s and the early 2000s, a lot of scholars who had just officially taken a, a complementarian stand move across to the egalitarian, mm-hmm. write books. Um, but for my sense, I haven't seen a lot of church leaders do that mm-hmm. unless they have given themselves time to work through it. So is it because they're not actually wrestling with it? No, I think yeah, they don't have to. Mm. If it's if if they are in control of a church and they can say yes or no, mm. then they really don't have to grapple with it. It takes a very, um, a very secure. kind of secure person mm. to be able to say that I might have been wrong. And I mm. always remember meeting Gordon Fee and talking with him, and he was my hero. And him saying, "Yeah, there's a few scriptures every now every time I come to a scripture and find out that I was completely wrong for all of my life, <laughs> um, I was in total shock." It happens yeah. to him, and he's a. He wrote the books. He wrote the books. <laughs> so I think I think we've just got to be open to that, and I think that that's where we don't draw battle lines, and try and engage in dialogue. And I think it's good to if someone's open and they want to engage in dialogue with their leader who is anti, give them some research, give them some books and that kind of stuff. Mm. But if it's a God-given call that you know you're never going to fulfil, then maybe you need to think about finding a place where you can see that fulfilled. Mm, that's good. Ursh um, had a question. I think mm. she's a language guru. Um, just your idea around the whole idea of gender-neutral Bibles where they mm. strip out the whole him, him, him. Yeah, well, I think gender-inclusive is what I like. I don't think gender-neutral is the way to go because the Scripture is ne- is not neutral. Mm. So um, Greek and Hebrew Scripture has genders appropriate. At, given that it's more gendered than English, in that you know things like chairs have genders, whereas we would, you know, mm. uh, so you know can't call all chairs female <laughs> or something like that, even though it is a female in the language. I I use a gender inclusive Bible, and and usually the translators you need to read the front of your Bible to ex- to understand their translation um, philosophy, but where it is clearly male, they will use male. 
where it is inclusive of male and female and has mm. probably only ever been translated brother, they will put brothers and sisters. Okay. And it's quite clear in the Greek because in the English it's it's impossible for us to translate it and it's just been you or, or the male and that's been the traditional way. So I use the NIV UK version, which is gender inclusive, yeah. and um, I've never had anyone uh, argue with me on it. Great. Okay, that's a good tip. In fact, I've had students I've taught for years and then I say I use a gender inclusive and they've never noticed, so there you uh, go. <laughs> Which shows how important it really is. Yeah, yeah. But it is a great indicator of um, of where churches are at if they're willing to use a gender inclusive yeah. because whether they realise it or not, and in the Christian circles, a lot of people say, oh, it doesn't matter to me, I know I'm a woman. You know, when it says son, it means daughters, etc. But what they don't realise is that culturally it does make a difference. Anyone who's educated in university has learnt not to use the gender. Mm. And and so, you know, I think more and more our culture is a bit glaring when we just hear sons or men or brothers or whatever. Mm, that's true. Uh, last question yes. for you. Uh, you spoke a little bit at the start around what you've seen in your time mm. of focusing on women in, in leadership. Um, in the church, I'd just be interested in what you project. So if you look ahead, oh, the futuristic yes. piece in the next 20, 30 years when your granddaughter, my daughter, <laughs> is hitting her straps, well, she is already at the age of six. Oh, well, what, she'll um... be a third world dictator, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Oh, so maybe don't use her as an example. <laughs> maybe not as an example. Um, I guess there's a huge sense of disappointment for most of the women that I know my age who went through the second wave of feminism even though we um, we really only, at the end of the day, had the choice between being a teacher or a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, our daughters have been educationally been able to do anything, you know, mm. and they have. And it's been just so exciting to see that. But I think one of the disappointments has been the way in which I look around and I see very few women in leadership, mm. in senior positions of leadership, in not-for-profits or theological colleges or Christian higher education colleges or the church. And that really kind of is a, a huge disappointment. I didn't expect that. And I think there needs to be a lot of research done on why we're in that place. What's your hunch? I think, I think the church has turned off a few young women. I think there are always issues around... Uh, biological issues of having children. I think uh, the second wave of feminism pulled men, women into the male public realm, but the men didn't go back into the domestic realm and help out there. So we have the situation: if you're a senior leader, then you would, and you're married and have children, then you would be doing ninety percent of the housework or eighty percent of the housework, and holding down a job where most men would have a PA and a wife at home to help them. So there's just some real sociological issues that need to be dealt with. But I think the other thing is I do project that there will be um, there will be more openness to women in the church doing all kinds of things, and I think that's fantastic. But I think at the same time we'll see groups where that will be much more restrictive. And so I think we're going to have a bit more bifurcation. 
uh, throughout Australia, uh, which up till now, up until 10 years ago, was really centred just in certain areas of Australia. Now I think it's becoming much more. And and it is disappointing. I think we, we're running against cultural issues where girls know that they can have it all, but at the same time, if they're Christian, there's this underlying enculturation which still makes them second-class citizens mm. where they can't really have it all, and it's still modelled to them. So I think I think the next generation uh, will, will grapple with that to a lesser degree. My great inspiration is the anti-slavery movement, which took over 100 years to change a culture. And I think that's probably what we're at. We're we're a little way in, but there's a long way to go. And to change a culture and the way that people view each other is going to take much longer than what we perhaps thought. Um, but I think we can do it. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. One final sneaky last question. What what's one thing that you, which we asked um, Tam and Ursh and I all reflected on? What's one thing that you'd love? to see happen in the next few years to move us towards that tipping point? I'd love to see... um, I'd love to see a whole uh, group of 40-plus-year-old women taking on senior leadership roles in the church Mm -hmm. and in theological colleges and in Christian higher education settings uh, in non-traditional roles. I'd love to see them. And genuine leadership, not just being good managers and letting someone else be the visionary, but genuine good mm. leadership. Great. Love Great. it. Thank you so much for your time. Ah, no it's worries, Shella. <laughs> what do you think then is the hesitation that people, that women have to say that they are Christian feminists? What do you think really holds them back? They don't want to be sort of someone like me who just... <laughs> I think women are still, I think it's still held up as a high regard for a woman to be kind and obliging and not create waves. Yeah. 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 I think it's not seen as attractive to be a loud, opinionated woman. Mm, It's probably not attractive to be a loud, opinionated man, really, but. You know, that's no. accepted. <laughs> but I must say, I mean, this is terrible, isn't it? But I find the loud opinionated, I'm not that you are this ish, by the way, I just want to make that clear. <laughs> so you just said something. But I, I find myself reacting against that and wanting to be, to navigate the middle road to oh. put, put people offside. I'm oh, just but so to be honest, I feel like we're all fairly loud opinionated women compared to some. Yeah, yeah. we are, but. I turn it down in different settings. I turn it probably. down. Yeah, true. Yeah. Do you? Okay. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We yeah, which kind of again maybe is that the third wave thing because I don't think the second wave would turn it down. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe no. or maybe we yeah we are privileged because of what has gone before. But I I don't I look at my daughter and I'm like there's a long way to go. She's yeah. gonna have a huge opportunity, but she's still gonna have to fight it. Yeah, you know the big thing that's gonna yeah. be I think for our daughters is around some of the, I think it was Mia Friedman actually talked in her book around the patriarchal patriarchal bargaining that goes on. So um, Mm. I think she used the example of the Kardashians. 
So <laughs> them flaunting themselves and their bodies, they say that that's feminism and that's an mm. empowered woman. And the point was, well, yeah, that yes. might be empowered for you. You're making money out of it. You're making a decision about your body and your image that gets out there. But the image that you are portraying is keeping every other woman imprisoned because who are the people that are mm-hmm. actually really looking at and getting off on those images and what what is that doing for women growing up and seeing that? So you're making a bargain with the patriarchy, which is a woman is supposed to look like this, this is a bit dumb, even though obviously the Kardashians in some way aren't dumb, they're very financially savvy. But, you know, so they're portraying all these very um, easily likeable female, female characteristics in, the, in a patriarchal society and they're not freeing other yeah. women. They're actually holding other women in bondage. Yeah, they're delivering what men want. Yeah, but it's yeah. under the it's guise the of, of female. Culture, yes, it? and it's under the guise yeah. of female yeah. empowerment and that's not. Yes, and that's what they do say about third-wave feminism is that I have I, my body is mine to mm-hmm. do as I please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really true. It'll be interesting particularly with a face lens of how you navigate that. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Okay. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's gonna be a fun little journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's not. It's not all for women. Like being mum of boys, I think mm. there's as much of a battle ahead for mm. us in you know redefining redefining masculinity as well. Mm. Yes. And what it absolutely. means to be a man in this new yep. you know, mm. third wave. And you that's know, right. there's, yeah, there's a lot of pushback, isn't there, in the Christian space of like we've lost what it is to be a man <laughs> because yep. you know worship is too feminine, the church is feminine, yep. and so that's actually this huh. rise of a male strong that's true. Um, response. And I, and you know, to some degree, I go, well, yeah, fair enough. Like you're probably, what is the who is a man in today's society? I think that's a valid thing to explore, but it doesn't mean at the detriment of women finding no. a place, right? Mm. <laughs> I mean, my big thing at the moment and what I'm really feeling strongly is that I just think we've got this whole masculine feminine thing so badly defined and that, Mm. Mm. you know, especially having three boys who are so different and so much, you know, Mm. it's not being a man isn't any one thing. There's such a spectrum for both a man and a woman and, you know, they cross over and they meet in the middle and Mm -hmm. I just think we were were so designed not to be at the opposite ends of this spectrum but we were designed to be so much more alike than what we are expected to be and obviously that's, you know, hundreds of years' worth of societal stuff Mm. but it's not meant to be like mm. this. We're meant to be so much more similar than what we're expected to be now. And mm. yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah, it, it hurts my heart so much sometimes when I see my kids not being able to be mm. who they are. And the same as you guys with your, you know, with mm. your, your daughters not able to be assertive, you know, yeah. and they're called bossy. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. if a boy was acting like that, they're called, you know, strong yeah. leaders. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, well, yeah. Welcome to my world. You know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a whole definition thing. and That's so interesting. There is no easy answers. Tam, because mm-hmm. I was having a discussion with, I think it was, uh, again, the playgroup women and we were talking about um, just some of the stuff that's being taught in schools and different things. And, of course, I had a big opinion about that and, of course, I seem to be the only person <laughs> with that opinion. But um, 
that one um, woman said something that was really good and she said, well, actually the thing that really concerns me is there seems to be a narrowing down of the view of what's male and what's female and therefore if you don't fit that, then obviously you're something else. Exactly. And I think it was exactly. the point that you're making, Tam, is that they're not allowed to be a diverse look at no. probably more so for men than what it is for women right now at what it means yeah. to be a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you guys say then? In the next few years, if you could be doing one thing or saying one thing or influencing one thing, what would that be to bring about better change? Where would you put your energy with the limited energy we all have? (laughs) Because I'm tired right now. (laughs) I think uh, for me personally, uh, I want to be getting through to the women of the next generation, looking at the Bible saying, this is who God is. He's someone that always raises the person of the lowest status and, you know, he's someone that embraces the outsider. He's someone that is, you know, bringing people to right standing with God and that's who Jesus is, that's who God is. And so have your Christian worldview and how you try and run your life through that lens. Mm. I know that's very Mm. broad but I guess that's more like a value statement of what I feel. Like if someone had to say, what would your message be about feminism I feel like I'd want to be getting that message through particularly to young women it's just a message for everyone but yeah I think keeping it close to home I think I would be really wanting to have my boys see girls as a reflection of themselves Mm. so not you know not not Mm. different and not less and not um unusual or strange or Mm. weird but just as I don't know, just as reflections, just as human beings That's who good. are the same. Mm-hmm. That's great, Tam. And, yeah, for them to have that view. Yeah. I like that. That's really good. What about you, Shell? I love both of those things, um, but I would also just love to pepper the the world, but I guess particularly the Christian world, with some real kick-ass women. Yeah, come on. All different personality types and different skill sets, so not just the kind of really gung-ho, directive, inspiring leader from the front who does an amazing sermon. I'm not meaning just that because mm. I think there's actually a few of those out there. Um, but to just, I guess, maybe raise the profile, I guess, is what I'm thinking, of to inspire us. For me, I need practical examples and role mm. models that... I can grab little bits from and go, oh, wow, I'd never thought of doing it that way or I never understood that. Um, so, yeah, I think just particularly here in Australia. Yeah. Not just Can you guys think of any? Like I'm actually fascinated from. by that thought, Shell. I know a few little people in my own little world, mm. but they would not have the high profile that I'm thinking mm. is deserved mm. or needed. Yeah, but I don't know, yeah. maybe there's something in that, you know. How do you – yeah, how do you spark – of movement <laughs> like that and yeah not to put the pressure on that then you have to then mentor a gazillion number of young women <laughs> so I can imagine that would be intimidating but just how do we how do we raise that voice and how do we share that back in so we can glean from mm. it and, and learn uh, and be inspired really yeah that's great inspiration more than anything that's so good mm. Awesome. So are we are all our disruptors now Christian feminists? <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> uh, let's start a call. Love to hear people's thoughts though, because it is such a there's so much in this topic mm. that we've only just skirted across. Yes. So it'd be interesting to see where people ask, you know, what questions are there and where we should be delving deeper and wrestling with more. Mm. 
I love talking about this with you ladies. You're pretty awesome women. Always. I think I feel like we've been talking about this for, um, I think we were... We were quite strong voices, voices for feminism at high school. You know what? This is why we got called into that principal's office because we went and we asked for pants. Remember that? Yeah. I mean, seriously, that is still, I just saw something. Was it on Facebook? It is still this massive issue. Mm. That girls at school have to, even the teachers, remember the teachers at our school up until only recent years had to wear a skirt or dress. Mm. Yeah. Let alone us for that uniform. But it's not even... It's not even, oh, well, it is about equality, but I just think, remember we used to try and play hacky sack at lunchtime? <laughs> yeah. it is all and we were playing dress. that in a very long winter woolen skirt. <laughs> we were restricted. We, we actually were restricted. We couldn't exercise at lunchtime. The boys would go out and play footy oh. and basketball and do all the sports. And we pretty much were restricted to sitting down and talking. We could have been happy know, sack politely. global and hero. And then, yeah. and yet, sorry, just another point, and yet that con- same conservative Christian school, I was in the basketball team for one term. <laughs> oh, good in Lord. Year seven, and what did we have to wear with that uniform? A singlet and bloomers. Yes. Not even, no skirt, no shorts. <laughs> Bloody bloomers. We were wearing our underwear. We were wearing underwear on top of underwear. That's what we were wearing. What the heck? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I changed my mind. That is what we need to address as our one issue over the next few years. Proper clothing for girls everywhere. Oh, I feel like we definitely need to do an episode on modesty. That would be fun. Oh, my goodness. It's been great to chat, guys. It has. Yes, it definitely has. By the way, please can I give a shout-out to my brother who sent me a text after the last podcast. Who is this? After the last podcast saying, and who was the only person who didn't mention their sibling when asked about their family? So I love you, love you, Joe. You're the best brother in the whole wide world. (laughs) Oh, dear. So, yes, please come along to iTunes and leave us a review or at least a five-star rating because that really helps um, other people to find the, the show and have a listen. So that's really great. We're also on Facebook at Faith Disrupted, and there's a lovely little private group there. If you feel like you might want to have a chat without all your friends listening in, you can join our closed group and have a chat. Um, and the website, which will have there'll probably be plenty of show notes from today I would imagine (laughs) that we can pop there if you want to do some further reading or just catch up on the things that we've been talking about it will all be there good lovely chat guys yeah keep powering on women all right and um we'll be back next week or the week after (laughs) depending on our schedules uh with another episode thanks for listening yay bye bye bye